Welcome back, Chelsea fans, as always, to the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. But it seems like we've been talking shit about Chelsea every single week, huh, guys? Yeah, I mean, I thought your intro was a little bit too lighthearted. I mean, usually when it's a week like this, you can the, the listeners can easily easily tell, like, right off the back that you're pissed off, but uh, you didn't do a very good job of, of uh, showing that. You want to just let everyone know that you're pissed off at least? Yeah. I, well, I, I mean, I, I guess that kind of goes without saying, but but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm lighthearted because uh, it's actually Nick Lenartz's, uh twin boys. It, it's their birthday oh, he has this twins? week. So, yeah, Alex and Seb, shout out to you guys, by the way. Hey, um, so happy birthday from us at the Romans Empire to you. And that's that. So now I could be depressed about the game. Jesus <laughs> Christ, guys, what happened? Oh, man, I, I don't know. But, yeah, for sure this week it's we're talking Chelsea and talking shit about Chelsea. For yeah. sure. Like, the, the slogan's changing this week, <laughs> but it's it was ridiculous, man. Probably the worst, the most depressing game. I'm not going to say it was the worst game. It was the most depressing game of the season for me, personally. So so safe to say that you're uh, in F-bomb territory, which is Andres uh-huh. in rare form. Oh, oh man. That episode. Yeah, we'll see about that. Sam, how are you doing? I, this is, I think this is probably one of the worst times that I've felt like being a Chelsea fan. Um, I'm being completely honest. Like I, I've never been – I mean, I'm just repeating what Andreas said, but I've never been more pissed. I think, Andreas, you said this season. I don't think I've ever been this pissed in my whole entire life as a Chelsea fan. Uh, just – because it I mean, was predictable. I think I I think it's because I I expected it to be something that I knew that it could never be. Yeah. Uh, and that's in the sense that it was really predictable. False. Um, but I mean, listen. Let's let me let me get let me just go through the starting lineup first, and then we'll get into that. So Chelsea zero, Everton two. Their first win against a top six team, of course comes during a crucial time in the season where we where every point matters. So going through the lineup, Kepa in goal, Marcos Alonso, Rudiger, David Luiz, and Dave in the back line, a midfield of Jorginho, Conte, and Barkley, and a front three of Eden Hazard, Pedro, and Higuain. Uh, I think the worst part about this match, and this includes the uh, last week, uh, the bailout draw, against uh, Wolves. This is, before those two games, six points puts us into the top four. And that's that's pretty much what my intention was going into those two games. And instead, we walk away with a single point in a very crucial time of the season. And you can't really blame Europa because we're putting out almost completely different 11s in those games, you know, give or take a couple guys. I mean, it, it's it's really, you know, some people are saying let's let's start, you know, pl- like just playing our youngsters in the league matches so we can, you know, have our best eleven playing in the Europa matches because you know the top four is completely out of the question now. Europa is everything, but I mean the way that they played in that take. second half, it's that, you really think that's a hot take? That no, I four, don't. I, I don't. Four is a, yeah, it's, it's, I it's, was being I was being sarcastic. It's the, I mean, it's the reality we still have of the to situation. go to Liverpool and we still have to go to Manchester again. It's over. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's basically done. It, it is officially done. 
but wow, and, and the, the, the thing about, you know, like putting all of our efforts on Europa League, I mean, you see that team that played in the second half against Everton, who the fuck are they going to beat in Europa League? I mean, that team played with no heart, no intensity. Like, they really didn't give a shit. Our, our, our youthful teams, where we play RLC and we play Cho and we play, you know, whoever else out there, Ampadu. I mean, these guys, these guys actually care. Yeah. 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 And Christensen, I mean, these guys are actually caring and playing with effort. The real, I mean, these the are the guys that I want take. playing. Exactly. The real hot take is that our Europa League team is playing better football than our Premier League team. Yeah, but you can't – the quality of opposition just doesn't even compare. Like – Right, I, I understand that part. I guess my thing is, is that at least they're moving the ball or attempting to like <laughs> a, a, application and execution are totally two different things, and, and the opposition plays into that. But at least they're trying to apply what Sari wants them to do. I'm so. with you, Andreas. I'm with you, Andreas. I'm not. I'm not buying into the whole uh, argument, which is obviously a very logical point that the the difference in competition between who you're playing in the Premier League and who even playing in Europa, it's completely different. But I, I, I don't know who we would be able to beat playing the way we did in the second half uh, against Everton. And this is not something that just started this past week. I mean, it, it was predictable. Going into halftime, nil-nil, us creating so many more chances than them, you knew that we were going to lose or draw that match. There, I, I, there's no way in my mind that I thought we were going to win that. And that it's, it's, it's too predictable, man. Yeah, but it, yeah, but in the first 10 or 15 minutes of that match, were, were you thinking that also? I mean, I'm just thinking I, of, I oh, said, it's a matter of time until we get one in. I, that's what I'm saying. At, at halftime, I, I know that we dominated. That first half, we created so many chances. I mean, we got to be the unluckiest team. Probably, <laughs> if not just this season, I maybe think we've in hit the past the post like ten the most years. times in the Premier League. Yeah, but yep. at the same time, Great, we've also created the most chances. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those those two stats should go hand in hand. If you create yeah. the most chances, you got to have the most post hits as well. Yeah, but exactly. but it, it, it's just too much for us. It it really is. I mean, I don't know. Is I feel like maybe my reaction would be completely different if the ball were a couple inches to the left or a couple inches to the right a couple times. And oh, it would be a completely different story right now. Yeah. And the, the, it would be the, it would be a marginal difference in play, but my, my whole entire outlook on the season would be different. But I think, that's just I, not the case. I think the thing that made this match more um, aggravating and irritating than others was because Everton literally served it up on a platter for us from the first minute. And you could tell that I mean because because Everton's been a very toxic place the last couple seasons, right? And 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 we talked about it last week. Marco Silva's job is also on the line. Like he hasn't yeah. convinced even even I mean he's he's I don't even think he's convinced a a, a decent minority of their fans um, that he's a man for the job, right? So this is a guy that can't that, that's also under fire and his job's also under the microscope, like Maurizio. Sorry, so. From the second the ball was kicked in the first half and we jumped on top of them, I think it was after Hazard's first chance, um, you could tell that like the angst, like the general attitude in that in that stadium at Goodison Park was all the Everton fans were like, here we go again. It was this collective like, oh, fuck me from, you know, from their fans like, here we go again. We're going to get destroyed by another big six team. <laughs> but. Like I, I I wasn't able to watch the game live, right? I, I was at my team at a club game. I know I'm terrible, but 
I checked my phone at halftime of my club game. It was also halftime of the Chelsea match. And I and I saw the stats. Everton had one shot in that whole first half. And they finished with 15, so they had 14 in the second and, half. And we finished with 89% possession. And and I and I and I watched the first about 15, 12 to 15 minutes of the match before I had to turn it off. And we were dominating, and we had at least three chances of score. Hazard had that low shot on the left that that Pickford saved near post. Pickford did. Pickford had a hell of a match, by the way. Right. Um. Yeah. And then and then he had the other one off of the left where where he hit the the post. And then I, I the last play I saw was that clipped ball over the top by Jorginho, the pass that everybody says he he doesn't make. Mm-hmm. Um. But, but he does it like two or three times a game, and and Iguain controlled it and everything, but took so long to get it out from under his feet. So I I, I just feel like you, you couple the our our lack of luck, I guess, in front of the net, combined with the Everton fans feel being in a very similar place we are emotionally, and it, it, it they were in such a fragile position, and we could have taken it if we got one goal, if we scored mm-hmm. once in that game. It's done. Yeah, and I, and half, yeah. I, I know it's a lot. Like you could say that looking back now, but if we got one goal in that first half, there is no way they're coming back. I mean, because but, they looked but, lifeless. Right, but that's the story of our season. If we score first and we score early, we know that the team is then just going to destroy the opposition. Yeah. But when we don't, that's when things flip. And and I've been trying to figure out what why is it that if we go into halftime nil nil, we come out and then we. Start getting pummeled. These these bottom table teams, when they go into halftime, for a manager, it's so much easier to preach. Give me 45 minutes of like tough, Everything. like British football where we just take it, get punched in the mouth a couple of times, and we just need to counter once. And that's essentially what every team is doing against us. Like if they survive the first half, they got us right where they want us because they can rally together for 45 more minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get just screwed. If we don't score early and that whole intimidation of, oh, my God, Chelsea's here and they're kicking our ass already, like, that goes to waste. Like, the, the first half is already long gone and dusted. They don't care about that. And, and that's what happened here. This is what happened. I think it was with Bournemouth. This is what happened with Wolves. The longer we keep these teams having the slightest bit of hope going into halftime or coming out of halftime, we lose the game. Like, and 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 Mar- Marco Silva didn't even do that much tactically to change the way for, from the way they played in the first half. All he did was tell them, "Hey guys, let's position ourselves five to seven yards higher up the pitch and start pressing them." That's it. That's that's literally all they did. It wasn't some sort of like masterstroke where Marco Silva mm-hmm. made like a halftime switch or a formational shift or you know he 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 pulled his his, his wingers into like a more inverted like like it was none of that it was just like look we need to position ourselves a little bit higher let's press them and we'll attack down the wings and that's how we'll make our money and look what they did they attacked down the wings they picked up a pk on a wing and they picked up a corner from wing play that they scored on and it's just it, it, it it's frustrating because i mean we could sit here all day and say chelsea should have done this 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 and this but the reason why we're saying that is because these this group of players in particular has let us down so many times, so many times in the last two years. And it's it's totally reminiscent of like Chelsea. Just if you take Chelsea, just the last five years, right? 
and you put it under this microscope, it's the same recurring themes every single time. You know, it's we'll have one season where we just dominate the opposition. We win a title. The next season, manager gets sacked, snakes in the grass, all this bullshit. Mourinho out. Conte comes in. We go from 10th place to winning the Premier League and revolutionizing the way other teams played in the Premier League because nobody played with a back three before we did, at least none of the big six sides, right? Conte came in, completely revolutionized things, addressed that he needed new players. He needed new blood after that first season, right? We needed He wanted to pursue another striker because Diego Costa was gone. Now, you could blame Conte or or not for that. I mean, I, I do think it was Conte's fault. But the fact that we have not replaced Diego Costa yet still, three years after he's left, is just ridiculous to me. That's number one. Number two, we needed another defensive midfield player. He wanted Arturo Vidal or Pjanic, someone of that type of quality, and we got Bakayoko, right? And it's just like – it's just like it keeps going on and on and on. And then we got Danny Drinkwater and Zapacosta and this and that. And you just pile all that on. So Conte said, we need these players. Never got that group of players. The next season, when things go sour, the board is asking them, well, what the fuck happened? Here's the sack. But we're not going to sack you until the start of training camp the following season, a.k.a. this season. Then we're going to bring in a new manager who's going to completely revolutionize the club two weeks before the season starts. During a World Cup year as During well. a World Cup year, yeah. So he didn't even get to work with our only two world-class players before the first Premier League match. I right. Mean, and, and, that's, ridiculous. and that's the, the beginning. It's the beginning of the issue. But yeah. but now this season, when, where history is now repeating itself, we need to look at that same core group of players that mm-hmm. gave up on Conte are now giving up or not. Maybe they're not giving up on the manager. But they're just giving up, period. Mm-hmm. And that's even more worrying that these guys can decide to be championship material, but then they can also decide to be lackadaisical and, and just like completely emotionless out there. I mean, I like, should have, I, I should, sorry to cut you off. I, I should have put it in a script, but I love what Brudiger said after the game. I mean, he was just brutally honest. And, you know, they said what happened. And the first thing he said was, this was literally Wolverhampton all over again, except we didn't get lucky. Yeah. And and that's the part that's concerning for me because we played the first half and so, I know we have the quote here. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Uh-huh, yeah. Sorry said this after the game. He said, quote, I'm worried about our mentality. I think the situation is clear. We played probably the best 45 minutes of the season. Then suddenly... At the beginning of the second half, we stopped playing. I don't know why. So, I mean, whether or not you agree with the first 45 minutes or not, that's up to you yeah. guys or the, the listener or whatever. I mean, we're going to talk about that in a sec. But I understand what he's saying, right? Like, yes, there's a sense that he's defending his own version of football because he knows that there's going to be a shitstorm anytime a result goes against him. But we did play a good 45 minutes. We did everything right except score, right? So then you're thinking, all right, what would the old Chelsea teams do? The old Chelsea teams would keep pushing, right? If there was some sort of adversity in the way, those Chelsea teams were known to be mentally and physically strong enough to battle through it and scrap out a goal, even if it bounces off of Ivanovic's backside. You know what I mean? And we and we got lucky. We got those goals. Look at John Terry's goal against Everton at the bridge a few years ago, right? We played like shit that game, but we had grit. We had a group of players 
that had that never say die attitude. And unfortunately, I mean, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at our starting lineup right now and the names that I could honestly genuinely say wholeheartedly are, you know what you're going to get from them every single day, every single match in terms of effort and desire. You got guys like Rudiger, you got guys like Dave and N'Golo Conte. That's it out of our starting lineup. I mean, you can't even put Hazard there because he goes invisible every now and then. Pedro, what the fuck happened? Iguain, I, I, I could beat him rolling around in a wheelchair in a sprint. You know, you got guys like Jorginho. We, I, I guess it's fair to say we haven't seen enough of him. But like, you go down this list and you look at the players and and our squad. It starts at the board level. They fucked up. Our transfer planning has been garbage. The way we've been treating managers has been even worse. And then you pair that with the group of players that we have brought in. There's some toxicity in there. And I guess that's the whole point. So, sorry. I, let's talk about Sorry's quote. Because I could honestly go on the whole entire fucking podcast just moping and, and complaining about this. And also, I just wanted to add, I mean, the toxicity of the team. This is a team we're going to be stuck with for a, for a while, given the 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 results of the transfer ban. I mean, this is heading Newcastle. This is heading for a really really disastrous uh, trajectory, I think, for Chelsea. It reminds me of Newcastle, how they went from being like this, like one of the bigger Premier League clubs, to just like a relegation side. You know, like. I mean, I, I'm not sure if we're going to be relegation side. I no, think no, in the no, next no, couple no, of years no. we'll be a mid, we'll be a mid-table team. Yeah, that's what I'm, I mean. Um, we might as well be a relegation side. It'll be more exciting to watch. <laughs> you know, it's is, just. Oh my god! I mean, is that even is that conceivable? Could you, is no. that conceivable that we get relegated in the next three seasons? No, 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 no. I, I'm just no, I'm asking that genuinely. Can can anyone here actually conceive that like possibly like, everything like, going wrong? completely that just no sounds, no manager in place know. we're going through a, a sale we <laughs> go through a sale uh it, that sounds like something one of those twitter accounts that every chelsea fan hates would like tweet on twitter who, how many who seasons knows? so we become a relegation side who knows man i really i i wouldn't rule it out completely that's the that's all i'm gonna say i mean it was, let, let, let's talk about it's, sorry's it, quote okay. quick because i mean i i do want to get into it it, it is do you agree with him and if you do or even if you don't like is this justified is he allowed to go out and say that again is he allowed to say like i'm worried I mean, what, about our what do you want like, him to i don't say. know what, what do you want him to say zach i mean he, he here's he, the thing i mean if this has been a problem all season why hasn't it been fixed yet and that's what, what's what driving me just what can absolutely fix this nuts. What can fix this? What what do you suggest? It's too late to change a manager. Drop them all. Drop yeah, them I mean, all. what's what's not going to change? I mean, <laughs> it it really it really there's no solution when when the board isn't working with you, when the manager you know it, it's too it, I think it's too far into the season. I mean, even like a month ago, it was fa- way too far in the season to make a change of the managerial position, and he's just I mean, it, sorry is 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 saying the truth. You know, I mean, what, wait, either, guys, you either, haven't even said the quote. <laughs> yeah, no, Zach, Zach said it. What, oh, the, oh, the, oh, the sorry quote. Which yeah. one? No, Zach, you said it. Zach, Zach said it already. Yeah. But, uh, it, My it's, bad. it's, uh, it, the thing is, like, I mean, you could, he could, you know, be mum is the word, not say anything, or blatantly lie. 
You know, I mean, th- those are the alternatives to but, him but, saying But you're this. the manager. You should be blatantly lying because you, you have to – like it, I, I know it contradicts everything I've said about him because I've, I've, always, I've always appreciated Sari's honesty. I've said it so many times on this podcast, but there comes a point where – where as a manager, you have to be smart enough to manage the press and manage the actual media itself, right? Like they're clearly egging you on here. What happened? What was the difference in the first half and the second? Don't go out and say, I'm worried. I don't know why we're not doing this. I don't know why we're not doing that. Just say, you know, our, we lost focus. And for 15 or 15, 20 minutes of that match, Everton was better than us, and that was enough to get him over the line. That's all you right. have to say. You at, know? This point, at this point, you probably have to deflect, but like nothing yeah. that he said is like like you guys said, he's not wrong. Like the this same situation, like I mentioned, and I've just double checked against Bournemouth, we were tied nil nil, and they scored once, we lost four nil. Against Wolves, we were tied nil nil at half, and then that game ended one one by the scruff of our neck, thanks yeah. to Eden Hazard. And here we are again, nil-nil at half, and we lost 2-0. The thing we, is, it's three early second-half goals. Doesn't that go down to the manager? Well, that doesn't go – I mean, if the players step on the field and before the, they know it, they got scored on, like, sorry can only do so much. And and we were asking, like, well, what do you do to change it? Well, sorry picks the starting 11 week to week. He picks who gets to be out on the pitch. Once he picks them, there's not much he can do besides scream from the sideline. And one thing he can control is not starting Alonzo or, hey, yeah. it's nil-nil. Let's put Loftus-Cheek and Hudson-Odoian at halftime. They won't. They haven't had the chance to, to come in for full 45 before. Maybe that's more than enough for them to actually have an impact rather than these last-minute, 20-minute cameos in a 4-2-3-1 where the 4-2-3-1 doesn't change anything about how we approach the game. It just looks different. Like – and that's the part where Sorry needs to take some blame. Should the should the starting eleven take blame? Sure, they didn't score in the first half. Should they have? Definitely. And that's where it all go, comes down. Like, yes, Sorry should probably stop moaning and complaining that he can't motivate these players because at the end of the day, that makes him look bad too. It doesn't just look make the players look bad. It makes him look bad, and it only is going to worsen his relationship with the players when he comes out and says this over and over again. But so, it just it just seems like he like we see performances like the Spurs match or the City match in the cup final where the first things we talked about after those matches was, oh, my God, it doesn't look like, you know, sorry's under fire at all. The, the players look like they're behind them. Look how we played. Those are elimination we, games. These guys we, don't wake up excited about yeah. the league against mid table sides like. I've been saying mm-hmm. that like they're so lackadaisical. These guys choose when to be motivated. They choose when to give it their all. Like yeah. this is the exact match, and that's why I pointed at also the Bournemouth match and also the Wolves match. They had nothing to really play for. Like to them, like top four, like like we talked about this a couple episodes back, where it's like, oh, we can't win the league. Eh, whatever. Next. Like that's yeah. bullshit. It's embarrassing. Like the blame goes all around. It starts with the board. For for not bringing in new players to put you know some heat on the guys that thought they were starters and outright starters, it goes to the manager for being stubborn and continuing to play these players who are, you know, underperforming or unmotivated or even just like not in form, and then it comes down to the players who are having zero pride 
and just saying, oh, we got scored on. Well, here you go, Eden Hazard. Take it over. It, it's all you now. Sam, do you want to do, do you want to say this really quick? Yeah, yeah. Robbie Robbie Musto on NBC Sports. I think he put it in a really really good way. Um, he he mentioned what he what stood out to him during the match. He said mainly Chelsea. They can't start well and lose interest. They lose interest in the game. It's like those players are waiting for the summer. They're gonna go away on vacation. There was no desire, drive, passion. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with him completely. I think I think the main key from what he said is the, the desire being an issue. I mean, Zach, what do you think about that? I mean, so much of it for me, like it comes down partly to the squad selection, right? So our front three that started, I mean, Pedro, Iguain, Hazard, that's probably a front three that won't even be at Chelsea next season. And for me, that's just pathetic because like, yes, they started the match well, but Sari relies so much on certain players that they that he, he he leaves them in the firing line so long sometimes that they virtually play themselves like in and out of form i think case in point is i'm talking specifically about pedro because he'll have the, the thing with pedro at his age at 31 or 32 however old he, however old he is he can't put together back-to-back performances in the same week he just can't anymore and, and, and it's become obvious this season specifically but when that happens, when players like Pedro or like Giroud or Iguain even that we've seen, you know, he, he'll have one good match and one match where he's invisible like against Everton. When that happens, Sarri doesn't rotate much. and He just keeps playing them. And we've seen it with Alonso. We've seen it with Jorginho. He has broken Jorginho. He's not a shadow of the player he was in the beginning of the season. You could probably say the same thing about Ross Barkley. I mean, we've seen this inconsistency from everyone that's played across the front three specifically, but like sprinkled around, you know, other players on our team also, David Louise. Look at Dave. Dave hasn't looked like himself at all since the turn of the new year. And and, and going into this season, you would probably say that Conte and Dave are the only two guys where you know you're going to get a 7 out of 10 every night. But now you don't even know that about Dave, you know? And it's just... I mean, the part that drives me crazy is that this is like an excuse and everyone is seeing it. You know, there's no desire. They lose interest. They don't care anymore. You know, they're not willing to sacrifice their bodies and their minds and and, and focus all their mental and physical energy on, on getting a result. This team is just not built for that. And the irritating part is when you have guys like Christensen, who's improved as the season's gone on, Callum Hudson-Odoi, who looks... You know, even though he doesn't play well every single time he he steps out on the pitch, he looks like he's ready to offer something completely different. Loftus Cheek, I I can't remember a match where he hasn't made some sort of positive impact in one way or another. And it just seems like every ever since we've won the league, I mean, those guys aren't getting their chances, and that's the problem. That's my main issue here. And and maybe that solves your whole vacation problem. Maybe that solves your whole, you know, Chelsea have no desire. Chelsea have none of this. If you sprinkle in some youth and you sprinkle in some players that are hungry and that are actually competing for places instead of, you know, guys like Pedro and William, like, yes, they don't start every game. But have they ever really competed for a place before? You know what I mean? It's 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 never, uh, you know. Are Pedro and William going to play? It's 
is Pedro or Willian going to play? You know what I mean? And I guess that's the problem here is that we just have so many positions and places on the pitch where there's not a clear number two or a clear contender for that position. And everything just kind of falls apart from there. Like we have no backup for Jorginho. We have no backup for N'Golo Conte. We still don't have an attacking midfield player. And we're eight weeks out from the end of the season. You know, uh, David, David Luiz has had horrible matches terrible and like he was responsible for that goal on the corner i don't know what the fuck he was doing he didn't even look at his at at, at uh at, at gary mina until the ball went in the back of the net to see who headed it in, or or uh, to see who who knocked it d- uh down into keppa's hands but like guys like marcus alonso guys like dave i mean people have bad matches you have to rotate the squad sir alex did this thing where after every time he would win a trophy he would bring in a top player, one top player to compete for a spot on the team. That's all you need. All you need to do is bring in one first-team caliber player to compete for a spot. And all of a sudden, everyone else starts elevating their game. And, I, and that's, the problem with that, that, that's the problem with us now is we had that group of world, world-class players, of, of elite footballers. Diego Costa I – mean, I'm talking more recent. Diego Costa, John Terry, Eden Hazard. Fabregas, you know, I guess we were, you know, we we brought in Conte, so you know, we didn't miss Matic that much, but you know, Matic left and we brought him back a Yoko, you know, like we brought in Danny Drinkwater, Ivanovic left the club, we brought in Zapacosta, John Terry leaves and 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 we and you know, we don't even replace him with with anybody that has an ounce of leadership in their body, even after John Terry said Christensen's like my rightful heir. it's it it's fucking crazy and it's it's hard to wrap my mind around but like in a way like are we really surprised that we're at this point i mean every single time a window would go by and we would sign you know some player we've never heard of from you know torino this was in the back of our minds but we're just too you know we have our blue tinted goggles on and we can't you know come to terms with it but but for me it's it's Okay, the windows are gone. You're in your season. Stuff it's just simply not working and you continue to put that garbage out there. Like Alonso sh- played well on Thursday for the first time in months and he somehow just walks back into the starting 11 days after playing. Like Emerson did nothing wrong. Alonso gets right into the starting 11. How come that sort of chance wasn't given to Hudson-Odoi, to Christensen? To Giroud, who came off a hat trick. Like, yeah. I don't know the yeah, yeah, yeah. last time a, a forward scores three goals and doesn't get a, the nod the next game. Yeah. Like, to, to, to bring this down to this season, like, the whole thing with desire, it, it's – these guys, like you said, they all think they have a place. Like, David Luiz is talking about his new Chelsea deal recently, and he said, oh, I'm happy here. I've been doing well this year. You haven't been doing well. You've been doing average. You had your big moments, and then you've had plenty of bad moments. So, like, these guys are so calm. Oh, yeah, you know, sorry likes me. I'm going to still play center back. At this point, he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be yeah. playing at all. Christensen has proved the last three, five games he's played that he's more than ready, more than capable to take that spot. Aspilicueta, as the season has gone by longer and longer, is definitely a square peg in a round hole for what we need a fullback to do. Like, he defends well one-on-one, great, but – in this game, he didn't make a single overlapping run when he needed when we needed it. Like nothing. Pedro and William, yeah. you said it. It's Hazard plus one of them to flip a coin. Hudson Adoy 
if we're going to go by like stats per 90, has them blown out of the water, and he's still yet to start a Premier League game. And he got called up for the national team. But he's still he not good enough. He got called up for Garrett <laughs> no, Southgate's national team. He How about skipped, this? He Lof- skipped the U21, U23, and went straight to the national team, and we have him rotting in the bench. And, and that's not even the whole story. He took Loftus-Cheek's spot on a national team roster because Loftus-Cheek's not 100% match fit. And Loftus-Cheek is a guy that could barely get a game under Sari, even when he does play well. So you replace one guy that barely gets a game for us. I mean, okay, you take injuries into account and whatnot. But coming out of the World Cup, there was no reason why Loftus-Cheek couldn't have just been thrown out there and do just as well as Ross Barkley. I'm sorry. Maybe that's biased, but Ross Barkley's just not good enough. There's nothing that's going to change that now, even if he scores a hat trick next match. Like, it's not going to make a difference to me in my mind. So you got a guy like Loftus-Cheek, bows out of the the England squad because he's, you know, not 100% match fit, fair, good choice. But then a guy like Kyle Munson-Odoi gets called, and those are two young English players that came through our academy that the rest of the world sees talent in but somehow can't find a pathway throughout Chelsea. I feel like how long has Loftus Cheek been on the periphery of our first team? Four seasons now. Um, he's what, there was, twenty. He's twenty two right now, and he yeah. got his debut under Mourinho at eighteen. Yeah, and, and yeah. then was that the year he scored against Villa away in Mourinho's last? I, I, um, no, it was the year after. It was the year okay. after with yeah. Uh, hitting. Yeah, yeah. See, mm-hmm. like, but that's the thing. That was so long ago. And when we were watching Loftus-Cheek back then, we were just thinking, oh my god, it's a matter of like months, if not maybe a year, before he's, you know, like a, like a solid role player for us. And we haven't seen that pathway. And I know there's different reasons why that could happen because, you know, the board sack managers and why is a manager going to, you know, if he's only going to be there short term, why is he going to play the youth instead of playing someone, you know, more experienced? I get that. That's fine. But there's a fundamental issue at Chelsea and it's a problem and it, we've been ignoring it way too long we've just been papering over these cracks and i feel like our last two titles as much as they were deserved right like you know you win a trophy you don't win a trophy by mistake uh, i'm not saying we did by any stretch of the imagination but our mistake was after winning our first trophy under Mourinho, we didn't do what sir alex did and improve the squad we didn't bring in another world-class player to compete for a spot you know and that's the problem. Players got too comfortable in their positions. I mean, I guess you could put case in point as Fabregas and Hazard the, the year Mourinho got sacked because they virtually stopped playing. They would get picked every single week. They would never get dropped from the squad, but they would keep playing week in and week out, and they would do nothing. But that's that's part of the problem. I don't know. I mean, I'm curious to see what you guys think because a part of me wants to say that it's a cultural problem. But at the same time, like, you could always say, like, maybe it's this group of players just – they've been tapped out. You know, there's that argument where you could argue that Conte and Mourinho maximized the potential of, like, this core group of players, and that was it. I mean, what do you guys think? It is? Do, I mean, do, do, you think, do you think it could be cultural? I mean, because that's the thing that worries me. If it's cultural, then that means it's longstanding, it's long-term. No, for, for me, it's it's – like I said, they, they they pick and choose when to, to really show fight. And this season, we have yet to come back from a deficit after, you know, once we started, like, losing our – like, after we came off that, like, crazy unbeaten streak. Like, yeah. we do not come back from a goal. And it's just – for me, it's 
it's what you were saying when when you get to a team where where Eden Hazard is top five in the world, like spade a spade, Eden Hazard is top five at the moment, and you have that kind of talent, and you go down a goal, and and just happens that he is a, a forward player. Mm-hmm. I feel like our team, without realizing it, just decides to mentally shut down, and they're like, okay, we're gonna give you the ball, make use of your magic. And let's see what happens. Like every time we score or we get scored on, and it's usually late in the game. Like, let's be real. Like, just talking, it's second half, 45 minutes left. The other team's gonna park the bus, and everyone's like, okay, Eden, get the ball to Eden, and then we wait. That's that's it. That's literally what game plan becomes, and that's that's past the 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 manager because the manager can say things, but it's just simply what the players do. Like we are Hazard FC more than ever when we're down a goal, and and that's where the problems occur. Like Hazard literally knows, like, oh crap, nobody here is gonna help me. Other superstars don't have that issue. You got in PSG, Neymar looks up and he's got Cavani and Mbappe, and if it's not one of them, Di Maria is the one coming in. Holy crap, Messi, yeah. he looks up. He's got Suarez, Dembele, Coutinho. I can continue to list those things. And this isn't just this year. These are things that these guys have had forever. Mm -hmm. Ronaldo, he had Bale. He had Di Maria. He had Benzema when Benzema was on fire. He had Higuain when Higuain was on fire. Like, Isco. Like, exactly. These are players that are at least elite. Like, they're not even squad players. Hazard looks up, and he sees a 32-year-old Higuain, a 31-year-old Pedro, and then he looks backwards at Kovacic, who's allergic to the final third. Jorginho, who has one goal from open play in three years, and Conte, who before this year had never scored more than two goals a season. And you're supposed to tell me that he's going to feel confident in like their ability when they're like telling him, here, have the ball. We can't do this. Hell no. And, and that's where I'm saying like, oh, we got scored on. Well, let's see if Eden can do something. If not, let's not try. Like when we scored against Wolves when there was like a minute left, then everybody tried again magically. Mm-hmm. Wow, we tied the game. We're back in this. Let's all try. But if that goal doesn't come, like, no, we're, we're done. Like, when it hit 2-0, I was like, oh, man, yep. Shut, yeah. Shut it down. I mean, trying to trying to find that sense of urgency when we're not uh, in a pressured situation is tough. Uh, that, that, I think that's been a big issue this year. I, th- I want to get back to this match real quick. Um, Nick Leonardson asked on Twitter – uh, he gave his opinion on the flops uh, during the match on uh, Sunday. He lists Alonzo, Dave, Luis, Ross Barkley, Iguain, and Pedro. And he wants to know if we uh, agree or not. I-, I wanted to add a name to that list because I really think Eden Hazard was invisible for the second half. Um, I mean, I'm not gonna, I can't, I can't, I'm not gonna sit here and blame the loss on him, but. He really wasn't visible that second half. Uh, Andreas, I'll start off, start off with you. What do you what do you think about the the players that he mentioned and their performance on Sunday? Yeah, I'll go through it quick. I thought Alonzo was abysmal. Um, mm-hmm. They targeted him for obvious reasons, and he folded. Um, Aspie, I mentioned it earlier. He brought nothing moving forward. Yeah, he he was doing nothing moving forward. Luis had an awful game. Awful game. Zach highlighted the fact that he was just oblivious to to the box in that corner. Barkley, meh. And that's what we always say about Barkley, so that's obviously not good. Um, Iguain didn't score. 
and then Pedro, Pedro, Pedro's like a light switch. He's either on or off, and he was off this time. So that that's that's essentially it. I would have, yeah, I completely agree with Nick. Like the fact that he had a list of three, what six of the eleven players were flops that played most of the game. Like that tells you everything you need to know about this performance. Uh, where do I start? Okay, so I, you know. Bo- before I write every script, I'm just going to give you guys some background, right? I usually gather a couple stats based on things that I observed during the game. Like, oh, we had a lot of corner kicks. Let me research how many corner kicks we had so I could say it on the pod. Oh, we had this many shots on target or blah, 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 whatever. I looked up Marcus Alonso's stats because I'm thinking to myself, shit, this guy is he, he's, he's actually making a lot of tackles. Like, it seems like every time someone dribbles, it, they literally dribble into Marcus Alonso. But Andres, you said it. They were targeting him, right? I think he had something like – he won five aerials, had nine tackles, and four interceptions, which is ridiculous if you're looking at just the stats, right? And you go to a lot of those stat-based websites like we use FOTMOB on the phone, which is fucking awesome. But like you go to FOTMOB and they give him a 7.8 for the game because you look at his stats. His stats and you think, oh my god, look, this guy's played amazing. He was awful. And, you know, I I don't care if that penalty call was soft or not. I mean, I know opinions go both ways on that. But you don't dangle your leg out in the box at all, period. Like, you do that, and if you get a penalty called, you can't argue. Like, it's – like, I remember when the ref blew the whistle, pointed to the spot. There's like a – you know, the camera pans to the referee, and Jorginho walks by him, and Jorginho says something to the ref, like, you know – but but he wasn't saying it to the ref. It looked more like a like like not disbelief, but like Jorginho knew it was a foul, but was still like really like here we go again, you know? Like it 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 it's ridiculous. So the first goal, Marcus Alonso, or the second goal, Marcus Alonso's fault. The first goal, yeah, maybe he could have thrown his body in the way of of, of Richarlison's rebound, but that's more on David Luiz for me. You go to Aspilicueta. In, in in the one in every one v one situation he was in he did well but guess what that's you know Aspilicueta's specialty everything else that everything else that he did in this match was essentially ineffective the problem is he's just not suited to the system and the fact that he doesn't have an attacking bone in his body and can't cross the ball unless it's to Alvaro Morata who's not even on our team anymore is hurting us at this point I love Aspi I think he's phenomenal. But this is just not the system for him. You move on to Ross Barkley. He's not good enough. That's all I'm going to say. Move on to Iguain. It's not that Iguain is shit. And it's not that he's as frustrating to watch as Murata. But we just we, – we have to stop living in fantasy land and accept that some people, when they hit 30, their body slows down a lot faster than others. And Iguain looks less mobile than Olivier Giroud. And – I, I I guess the point I'm trying to make here is Iguain could still score goals. That's not a, a doubt in my mind. I mean, you look at the positions that he gets himself into, and he his movement's insanely good. Like it's it's still world class. His movement in the box in close quarters, but his finishing is just has has been abysmal for us. I mean, three goals in ten matches. And two of them were against the last place team in, in in the Premier League, guaranteed to get relegated. It's if you want to be a top striker, you're only gonna get one or two shots a game, right? One or two attempts on goal a game. And 
what differentiates you from being a top striker and just like a decent one is if you score that opportunity or not. And Iguain hasn't done that, and he has been getting opportunities. I mean, we've we we've created the most opportunities in the Premier League this year, more than Man City. Yeah, like if you don't believe me, look it up. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it, it, it's ridiculous to me. So that Iguain, I'm just not sold. I think it's you know. I, I will be shocked if we purchase him in the summer, even if he does turn it around from here on out, because he's shown that his age has caught up to him physically. And you move on to guys like Pedro, who's – I talked about him earlier, so I'm not going to get too into it, but he's probably one of the most confusing players Chelsea have at the moment because one day he scores a winner against Spurs, and the next he's dribbling 30 yards backwards towards his own goals, doing overs and unders and, and, and giving the ball away in the midfield. Like, it's it's just another player that's – Again, like past his best, and Andres said it. You know, Eden Hazard gets the ball, he looks up, and he sees two thirty-plus-year-olds, you know, trying to make runs and trying to get open in arguably the most physical league in in the world. And I'm talking about speed and you know literal physicality, like bumping and bruising. So it's it, it it's frustrating. It's frustrating because. During a good season or during a season where we could say, like, it has been relatively successful, you could go through most of our matches and you'll try to look through the flops and you'll be hard-pressed to find more than one. You know what I mean? Like, if, if, any other season where we won a trophy, if, if if Everton scored on us at Goodison Park, we'll be like, oh, yeah, as P let his marker go on that play. But it's all right. Uh, Diego Costa had a double, so – but, you know – I can't really see anyone else that played worse than Dave that match. But then you fast forward to this season and last season, and it just constantly seems like there's this revolving theme of having four or five players just constantly not being good enough week in and week out. And the fact that they're not being rotated and there's no effort on the manager's part to change the system or change the players is frustrating because every time there's a team selection, we all act surprised that there's no changes. But are we really surprised? No, not really. I'm, I'm going to give you guys a couple of st- statistics um, about this match, and I want you guys to give me a reaction, whether it's a, a cry, a scream out of frustration, maybe the good, good old classic fuck, whatever. Uh, so, so the first stat, only Fulham have lost more Premier League uh, matches away from home in 2019 than Chelsea. That all that means is that Huddersfield hasn't played as many away games as us. <laughs> Andres, we cry. Suck. Is that a cry? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Everton's first win, first win against a top six side in the Premier League since January of 2017, over two fucking years ago. 25 matches played, 18 defeats, minus. 44 goal differential. <laughs> Forget the other teams. The fact that we only got one point against this Everton side this season is completely embarrassing. Uh, yeah, it's like this whole Everton, the whole Everton team is shit. Besides like dig, uh, besides like Pickford when he decides to have a good match, which he did have a very good match against us. But like the only players that aren't shit on their side are like Idrissa Gay. Lucas Digna, Sigurdsson, Sigurdsson, Seamus Coleman on his day, and Richarlison. That's it. Theo Walcott, shit. Bernard, who we were linked with, shit. Theo Walcott almost scored on us. Shit. 
Theo Walcott almost scored <laughs> on like, us. Oh my Just god. Just think about think about what the reaction would have been if he scored on us. I probably I probably wouldn't have been alive to do this podcast today, to be completely <laughs> honest. I wouldn't Man, I wouldn't have made it. When was the last time Theo Walcott was a decent footballer? Like two thousand eight? Yeah. Around that time. Yeah, yeah, back when he had his knees. Um so Let's get into some Twitter questions slash other talking points. You guys know what to do. Uh, first thought, first talking point, Cho called up to the England national team. Uh, Zach, I'll start off with you. What are your thoughts? It is crazy to me. Like, who would have thought that he's good enough to be on the national team? Wow. Such a shock. You wouldn't know. Yeah, he doesn't it, play. But But apparently he's not good enough for us. I mean, that's... Kind of says everything you need to know. Andreas? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> well, it's – I know Sorry wears glasses. Maybe it's time to go to, like, the doctor and get his prescription checked because everybody else in the world sees it. So I'm wondering when he will and just make him our starter at the right wing. Maybe he just completely stopped smoking cigarettes, like – around new year's and just started smoking spliffs and he's just uh-huh. tripping every single time like he goes to training and stuff because like how else could you not see that he's our best swinger behind hazard you know my opinion on Cho uh in the initial Cho hype was i felt that you know every match he didn't play in chelsea fans eyes he became better because you know it's harder to make a determination on you know what kind of player he is if we're not seeing him but the hope of and, and the excitement of him every time he didn't play he became better why isn't he playing why why isn't he getting you know starts why isn't he playing and now it's i think it's come to a point where i can officially say i know how great he is because of what i've seen yeah he, you know it, it, he's he's in the 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 balance i mean that that awkward spot of not playing enough so that we he's, his impact can't be felt but playing enough where Chelsea fans have seen how great he is and how frustrating it is to not see him play. Um, but that's where I sit with him now. Um, I'm, I'm totally sold on him. Uh, let's let's get this guy some playing time. Uh, so next talking point, Europa League draw. Uh, we drew Slavia Prague. Uh, this is, I thought we, we – got so lucky on this draw <laughs> this was this was unbelievable i mean like uh i, I, I want to pull it up uh arsenal exactly. napoli villarreal valencia and then i right. think it's frankfurt the, and benfica the, yeah that, that's the one side is napoli arsenal Villarreal, and valencia and then for us, it's yeah, it's 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 us versus Prague, and then we play the winner Frankfurt Benfica. And, and and we got lucky because for those of you that aren't like footballing hipsters, Frankfurt is really good this year, and they have Luka mm-hmm. Jovic, who's ar- arguably been the best striker in Europe this season. Mm-hmm. And then like uh, Valencia, you could never really count them out. I mean, but you don't really know what you're gonna get from them. But Benfica is always a decent side. We know what we know what Arsenal and Napoli are about. Like you look at all those other teams; those are teams that could give us a lot of problems. Those are the four best remaining teams. Yeah. As as a side to us. Yeah. Uh, and we don't have to play any of them until the championship game. So, uh, lucked out. We for sure lucked out. Yeah. Um, Andreas, I don't know if you want to add anything, but I'll just move on to the next question if you don't. All right. I th- what if this is FIFA like? 
just like okay, apologizing. <laughs> no, no, no. On the contrary, they're just setting up. This is the long con. They give us the Europa League so that we get completely embarrassed in the Champions League next year. Give us that <laughs> bit of hope that makes us think, "Wow, we're back. We're in the Champions League. Here we go." Oh wait a second, we're gonna get knocked right back down to the Europa League. Or do you think, or or do you think that they built the brackets this way? to tee up really nicely for a Chelsea-Napoli final. Oh, well, yeah. I, I think that's the biggest. They, they set up some headlines for sure. You got Chelsea-Napoli or Chelsea-Arsenal being a, a, a nice little uh, final. But I also think, like, um, they, yeah, I, I guess I guess that's that those are the two biggest finals they could get. So they gave us the easier side because they know we are the the ones that are struggling at the time. I mean, FIFA <laughs> corruption is real, so I'm not. I would not be surprised that this was planned out in one way or another. Like they maybe would have wanted us to play one of those three teams, whether it was Prague, Benfica, or Frankfurt. So they feel Napoli has a better chance of making it through the gauntlet than us, which is I, I agree with them as completely. Um, so we got uh, one Twitter question, or we got a couple t- Twitter questions. The first one from at Black Emoji. He asks, what happened to all that fluffy talk about Sari being a coach? Uh, I think he's specifically talking about player development. Has anyone really improved under him? Andreas, I'll start off with you. What do you think? Um, I think the only players – oh, my gosh. Okay, so the only players that probably have improved under him, Loftus-Cheek, I would say has improved a lot in, in the defensive side of the ball. I, like before this season, I remember always reading how he's lazy or, or how he, he doesn't like to do the work. But like Zach mentioned, anytime he's on the pitch, he's performing. And even Sari has made defensive subs where Loftus-Cheek is coming on to bring more physicality. So I think he's probably, in my book, the only player that has gotten better, like significantly better. I think Christensen just had to get his confidence back. Um I don't think Ampadu has gotten the the rise that he probably could have had he gotten more minutes. And same thing with Hudson Adoy. Had he gotten a manager that gave him more minutes, we we don't even know where he would be right now. So um, I think that yeah, Loftus Cheek is the only player I can think of that has actually improved. And and I don't even know if it was a sorry thing or if it was just the fact that he was ready to put in the work. I'm going to go with N'Golo Conte because we already know he's the best defensive midfielder in the world. But I think something that's impressed me a lot um, this season that I never really noticed before was his range of passing and how good his first touch is. So, like, we've never really seen him play on a side that possesses the ball and plays in in close, confined spaces, quick one-two touch passing. And when Sarri Ball is working and when the system is working and when we're moving the ball and there's a nice flow to our game – Conte is always at always one of the focal points of it. One because of his position, and two because he's our highest player up the pitch, and he gets on the ball a lot in the attacking third now. And I've been mm-hmm. I've just been really impressed with 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 his range of passing. It's not perfect. It's actually far from perfect. And I mean, you could take any one of our other midfielders, and they'd probably have similar numbers to him if they played the same amount of minutes in the same role that he does, that high up the pitch. But I just didn't know that he had that about him. So I mean. That's kind of the only player I could think of that's really improved. Rudiger started out the season really well. Mm-hmm. Aspie did as well. We all thought that they were going to be like our two stalwarts at the back this season. And 
both of them seemed to tail off as Luis and Alonso's form like disintegrated completely. You know, I, Jorginho started well, tailed off. Barkley, same thing. Kovacic, same thing. I mean, it's really hard to look around anywhere else besides N'Golo Conte and say I that guy improved. You're right. I think I think Rudiger is probably the most improved player on our team from last season to this season. I, th- I think I, I think I re- he's the most improved player from the day we bought him. Right. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. that was from last year. I mean, but the the it, I don't know how much to attribute that to. Uh, sorry. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure if mean, this was just the natural fantastic. progression of yeah. how he was supposed to be or, you know, his experience in the World Cup, which was uh, very marginal. <laughs> Though he made it one round. But anyway, um, there's a quote from HLN. I wanted to qu- I wanted to read to you guys. I want to see what you guys think. Uh, I'm a little confused. It's a little bit um, vague who he's talking about, but maybe you guys can clarify who, who, who he's talking about. <laughs> HLN says, uh, this is an interview with Eden Hazard, right? Uh, He says, I have a friend who's played in the Premier League for seven years now at a club that plays in blue. He's won everything and he's ready for a new challenge. He's now in the interest of another club, one in white. (laughs) What would you recommend? And Eden Hazard said, buy him a white shirt. Who, Who are we buying a white shirt for? What, what, what does this mean, guys? Is this why, why is he speaking in 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 code? Maybe he's joining a cult. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I that's like the only other option. Maybe he's joining the KKK. I hope it's on a white robe, but <laughs> it, this is pretty obvious. And, and at this point, it's honestly getting embarrassing. Like Eden, just just say it. You're he's leaving. Yeah, just like at this point, it's not a respect thing. Like oh, it, it really is just like the the, the contract's not signed. He's leaving. Zidane is back at Madrid. He's going to Madrid. We're just waiting for the the best offer. They offered uh, 80-ish million. We said no. We're waiting for 115 million. And and at this point, I promised a hot take going into this game. And, and at this point, here it is. Like, sell Hazard. Sell him. Like, if the offer comes, sell him. I, I don't care if there's a transfer ban or not. It, it's time to, to part ways with Eden Hazard, and I'm not saying that a team is better without Eden Hazard. I'm saying that our current situation is better off without Eden Hazard because I mentioned it earlier where we are so dependent on him, but because we haven't done our part in building a squad that doesn't need to do that, we've screwed ourselves over. The moment we go down 1-0, we lose any sort of tactical practice execution and we just give the ball to Eden and just ball watch. Mm-hmm. So at this point, take the 115 million. I, I don't know if sorry is the right guy to do this anymore. I, I don't because of what may come with the transfer ban, etc. Take the money, build a team that will play as a team. Like we mentioned it again, like, and I know Europa league competitions way less, but the fact that those guys are actually executing something more similar to sorry ball without Eden Hazard on the pitch makes me think that, okay, no savior, no God figure on the pitch means we need to do this together. And that builds team chemistry that builds team spirit that builds an identity. And, and it it could work out. It won't be an immediate thing. I mean, it took Liverpool five years to get to where they are now. And they still haven't won a trophy, but but right now we don't have an identity except for Hazard FC and he's approaching his thirties. He's, he's leaving like at the end of the day, he's leaving and we need to do something about that. Whether it's a manager bringing in some youth 
and fighting for a Europa League spot next year, but building these guys to be better and playing together and bringing back that core. Like the fact that at one point we had John Terry, Frank Lampard, Michael Ballack, Drogba, Robin, like all these players playing together. We talk about it. You look up and you have winners, goal scorers, clutch players all around you. And, and that wasn't built on on just like, oh, I came from this other team and I'm going to do it here. Like these guys did it together. Like none of those guys were top 10 players on their own. They made a top 10 team by coming together. And I think that's what Chelsea needs at this point. Like if you're telling me that giving up Hazard puts $100 million in the bank, we don't have transfers next season, but – Maybe in a year or two, our established starting lineup consists of Cho, Pulisic, Loftus-Cheek, Ampa Ducante, Christensen now as a starter, Reese James at the right, Kepa still in goal. And these guys now like – 11. Like, it, it, yeah, right, it doesn't sound too bad. Mason Mount as a, as a potential super sub or rotational point. Like, it, th- these guys have so much growth to, to, to bring and so much potential to fill – I mean, this is that's going to be completely that's that's going to require a complete cultural change. It's going to be acquired just a complete right. overhaul. Hey, that's the problem, and, though. Like, and like, that's why I don't think sorry. And, and the more this season comes in, the more right. I think that Sari's not going to be here in the long run, whether he gets us that Europa League trophy or not. Like think, the fact that he's so rigid with his 11 mm-hmm. and, and the way that we know we suck at doing business at, and getting the right puzzle pieces in. We have those pieces in our loan army and our academy. Like at this point, like maybe, just maybe, you have you have time to to think of okay, who can be that manager? We don't have, we can't make signings for a whole year. Like we have time to think, really think this through. Like we have a whole year. So if you're telling me 115 million is in the bank for two windows, like. You would think that by then we have a director of football for one. Uh, like obviously it's not worked. If we have one, we have a whole year to really think who our targets are. And meanwhile, we're developing these young guys to like what we really want Chelsea to be. Like next year we might be saying, oh, okay, we can really build something. But right now we need to blow this shit up and start from scratch. Like that is the only way that we can actually raise our standard rather than like, trying to stay afloat in mediocrity. Zach, real quick before you you answer, I just wanted to mention today reportedly Chelsea, they said that they want 115, as Andreas said, um, for Eden Hazard. And we turned down, again, reportedly, uh, Real Madrid's first bid of 82 mil, but it still seems inevitable that a deal will be agreed. So, uh, Zach, yeah, you sorry, you can f- uh, finish what you were, th- you were about to say. I mean, like, like I, I understand what you're saying, Andres, with the whole Hazard FC thing. And, like, yeah, we, we haven't been a balanced team uh, in the attack since Diego Costa left. Like, that's just a fact, right? But, like, as much as I want to agree with you in saying selling Hazard will allow us the opportunity to go out and reinvest the money in multiple positions and become this more balanced uh, structure more be become more balanced and more structured as a team as opposed to here's a few aging international players and a top five player you know what I mean but like what what you said about our our, our other teams where you know Balik and Lampard and Drogba how they weren't these top ten players but you know they were a culmination of talent I mean I think we're kind of discounting 
how fucking good all of them were individually. Also, though, like mm-hmm. Ricardo Carvalho, the captain of Mourinho's Porto team that won the Champions League. Michael Ballack, reputation speaks for itself. Um, Michael Essien, a relatively, I mean, I don't know if he was necessarily an unknown commodity or not, but a player that developed really nicely. Frank Lampard, we all know what he's about. DDA Drogba came in and struggled for a few seasons, but became this polarizing player. And I guess the point I'm trying to make is you got guys, Carvalho, John Terry, Frank Lampard, and even Peter Cech to an extent. Those are four players that were world-class when they, when they, when they or, or at least Carvalho and uh, and Balak, two players that were world-class when they came to Chelsea. The last world-class player we signed was Cesc Fabregas and Diego Costa, what, some five or six years ago, however long it was. The problem is one or two world-class players on a team in the Premier League doesn't work anymore like it used to. And the reason why that Chelsea team was so dominant is because we had five or six at one point. But, I mean, you rewind to Mourinho's championship years, it was John Terry, Hazard, who was uh, uh, at, at the focal point of that team, Cesc Fabregas, who had one of his best seasons ever, Drogba was a, a super sub, I don't think he was world-class when he came back, but you guys get the point. He just never had enough pieces around him. Having Justin Golo Conte is not enough. And you look at everywhere else in the Premier League, at least in the top six, Man City, they have five or six potential world-class players and three right. ready-made ones already. Right, but Liverpool, that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to talk about. But no, yeah. okay, that, I think that's a little cutting. Like Liverpool... Are they world class players? I Liverpool? think that's where, where I think Listen. it's elite. Like I think it's elite. Like Liverpool uh, uh, before this season had a core group of guys that knew what needed to be done, and they had a freak season from Salah. Like it. Like I, for me, world class is like I'm talking I mean, like Mane is Mane is playing Mane's, world class right Mane's now. Mane is incredible. Oh, he uh, is uh, completely in form. That, I get that, but like but that, going but into that, this season, they were a, a handful of elite players with like good. Like good players, like and a great uh, manager. Exactly. But, but they also brought in, argue. I mean, he 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 has been the best defender in the Premier League this season. Mm-hmm. But he's also a world class leader in the dressing room. Also, the whole culture of that squad completely changed when Van Dyke came in. But who would have thought that Dejan Lovren would still be their first choice center back <laughs> in a Premier League title contending side? Who would have thought that he would make the World Cup final and the Champions League final, like he's had great players around. Uh, Lovren has had great players around him, but the, like that's the example, right? Like if you put great players around players that are subpar, they're gonna rise and step up another level. All right, and, let's but, move on to the next question. That. Let's move on to the next Real question. Quick, like uh, I yeah, guess what ahead. I'm trying to say is, is the thing is that that wasn't built in a day, and, and that's why I don't think that keeping Eden at this point is gonna make us get there. Like yeah, yeah, it took oh, Tottenham, I agree completely. It took Tottenham selling Bale, it took Liverpool selling Suarez and Raheem Sterling, like, and and now you you have to remember, like, those those teams are units, like, when Salah's not playing, you have Shaqiri playing, and they're still playing a Liverpool way, when Van Dijk's not playing, obviously they're missing somebody, but, like, the identity of the team, of how they want to play is still there, and they have a right back who's 19 years old, they have... Who, who did they even? Uh, they had a guy that played for whole city at left back, now growing into being one of the best left backs in the league. Like before this season, they were 
a top four team without a keeper. They, they, they didn't have one. Like Mignolet and, and, and mm-hmm. Carries were not there. But the like, thing what is, what I'm trying to say is, is you have to build a, a general team first, and eventually you get to have the privilege of buying that world class player. And Zach, yeah. whether you agree with him or not. It's an it's an inevitable fact that this is what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree completely. Like I agree that we should sell him now, but that the problem is, and and this is like the whole point of my argument. Chelsea fucked up by not improving on a title winning team to begin with. They let key guys go. You know, like. And, and and it's just it's so irritating that like all of this is coming to bite us in the ass now, some six years later after we won uh, the, the the after we won in 2013 under Mourinho like this problem is still recurring and we still have done nothing to remedy it and it's it's frustrating right. like look we went right out we bought Chelsea guys we 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 bought N'Golo Conte we won another Premier League title under Antonio Conte. We sold Matic. We never like it, it, it. That's the thing. We're not replacing players, world class players, or players that could become world class or have that potential. And, and we're bringing in players that are just complete garbage. You know, like li- we we talk about privilege. Like Liverpool had the privilege of buying some of these players, but again, Klopp has been there. They've had investment, whatever. But like they still have players that have world class potential within their ranks. Like it's only a matter of time before Fabinho becomes one of the best defensive midfielders in the Premier League if he's not already. You know what I mean? Like they go out and they keep buying players and they keep building on on, on what's happening. They tried to go after Fakir, you know, and they don't even need him. You got guys like you got teams like Man City that are going after Riyad Mahrez last summer, and we're all thinking, what the fuck? You already have 16 world class wingers on your team, like. The fact that we haven't jumped on board and we haven't followed suit and have just relied on Hazard this long, so like it could have saved us five years of complete and total agony. After we won the Premier League title uh, 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 under Antonio Conte, Matic left. Bring in a world-class player to next to play next to N'Golo Conte. All of a sudden, you're Juventus. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden, you have the best defense in Europe for the next five years because you have two world-class defensive midfielders the fact that we haven't done that is why we are where we are. Like, I agree. We need to sell Hazard. He needs to go. Like, none of us could blame him. Farewell. I hope you win a lot of trophies because Mm -hmm. I hate Barca. You know, like, all that good stuff. Great. I love Zidane. One of my favorite players. Whatever. Like, I understand it's time for him to leave. But it's just sad that he's leaving because Chelsea's not good enough. That's the part that's hard for me to come to grips to. And so that's just the reality of the fact um, so let, let's get into the next question from at Benevolent Bono. He asks, what do you have to say to the deluded hashtag sorry in losers? Uh, so you, I think you can just, you can figure out which side he's on. Uh, Zach, you want to <laughs> start off? I mean, like, I'm just going to start because it's too late to sack sorry. And it would have happened already if the club were looking to do so. Right. If he does get the sack between now and the end of the season, it's nothing short of a knee jerk desperate reaction now whether he stays beyond this summer like it obviously it still remains to be seen that's up to the club or the board or whoever whatever non-footballing people are running the club nowadays like if the club are genuinely committed to the new style and if they are genuinely committed to becoming this attacking force and changing our identity that we've known since roman took over being like this brute you know 
uh, having these these massive, physically massive teams, but brutish teams that are just going to persevere and win ugly and you know this and that. If they are committed to that, we need investment and we need patience. And it's it's so far fetched for our football club to, to expect either of that from our football club consistently. Like they have to have the investment in knowing that they got to improve the squad. We have to utilize our resources, including the youth. You know, we have to go through with the stadium development. Like, like these are things that we have to do that we backtracked on. That's investment. Patience is key also, not just for the board, but for the fans too, because like this will take time and it's going to be a few years before we become a top team again, before we compete for premier league titles. Like, I'm warning Chelsea fans, starting from now, or starting from, yeah, starting from now, because the Premier League's out of reach. The only trophies we're going to have a chance at next season is going to be the Europa League, the FA Cup, or the Community Shield. If we sign up for the International Champions Cup in the United States, then we have a chance at that trophy too. But, like, who gives a fuck about that one? But, like, that's my point. There has to be patience. Fans have to know how football works. We can't just keep thinking, oh, why can't we go and spend 250 million like Real Madrid can we're not that type of club anymore you know and that patience also has to carry over to Sari as well we we have to understand his style is not going to happen overnight which it hasn't mm. there's going to be downs we're going to lose games that we should win we're going to drop points that we should pick up but we have to persevere we have to give him the right amount of time like we said time and time again on the podcast even Pep Guardiola and Mourinho said Sorry needs time before his ideas come together. They all rate him as a coach. Eventually, things will come through. We have to have investment. We have to have that patience. That's the only thing. And that's the only thing giving me hope. The club haven't sacked him up until this point, so that could only mean two things. One, the club is even dumber than we thought they were. Or two, <sighs> they're actually sticking with this. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's the only reason why I have some sort of optimism about this so yeah curb your enthusiasm chelsea fans andreas what do you think Uh, i'm gonna play devil's advocate i i'm over this coaching carousel but i I do see the argument from the other side and so i'm I'm gonna kind of talk my way into it i guess so funny that you mentioned real madrid who are in a position for the champions league already and they just fired their manager. So is it too late? I mean, hey, some people are doing it. We're going into an international break. Some may say this is the right moment to do it. So never say never when it comes to that. And also, just like the team needs to commit to Sari, Sari should commit to the club too. And his stubbornness to continue to play the same 11 that hasn't worked or stubbornness to, to just completely stick to his system – when it may not be working against certain opposition is costing the club, the potential of money that a lot of money that comes into the champions league, it's costing the, the club without the champions league, the ability to recruit players. So that's a two way street as well. While the club needs to give him the long-term commitment, he needs to show the club like, Hey, I'm going to kind of budge a little bit now so that in the long term we have the money. I can then work with the players we I need, blah, blah, blah. So it goes both ways there. And again, like if he's not going to use the resources at hand, which is this wonderful youth team now, and these are players that are making impact now, 
what is what does that tell us about next season when that's going to be his only option and and he is he even going to make any moves like we could be playing with this very 11 minus Kovacic which means Barkley would be starting next season and that's even more scary because that's you can't play bring players in and we would just dip way further down into the into the table so while uh, other people were given time they also Pep changed his style from his Barca and Bayern to make it fit the Premier League. Klopp changed his style from like the way he played at Dortmund to what he's doing here in Liverpool. So that Mourinho did say that Sarri needs to adapt to the Premier League, which he hasn't, and he's been here for three quarters of a season now. Like at least try something, and and, and not a half-assed job at the four-two-three-one. And even Poch also does it. He lost his best player, and he was still getting results without him or actually he lost like three of his best players for a couple months so it, it goes both ways and and that's what I think people are worried about when they're sorry out is that he hasn't given us at the club enough of like hey I'm gonna do this for you guys he's been committed to his own theories his own ideas but like to a fault and, and that's what have people worried and I can understand that so yeah that's a good point I think that's why we have such an imbalance in, in sorry in versus sorry out and and that sort of thing. So I, I see it both ways. I would love for the club to give him time, but again, it, we're Chelsea and we and we drop the axe pretty easily. So it, it I, I don't know what's coming and, and I don't know what the right choice is anymore. So we got a couple more questions before we wrap up the pod. Uh, first from at Ron. It was, is it actually at Ron? Or no, it's no, at Bone it? Daddy. Oh His yeah. Name is Ron. Oh yeah. We're at on a first name basis now, Sam. All right. Okay. At Sorry, Bone Ron. Daddy Deluxe. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Uh, he asked two questions. The first one, he asks, if they do sack Sorry, as reports are saying, who would you guys want to have this job? Uh, and second question, let's say we do get top four, win the Europa. Do you honestly see this team doing well in the Champions League next year, especially if we can't sign anyone and end up losing both Eden and Cho? Uh, Zach, you want to start off? Uh, Yeah, so the first question, I mean, if they do sack Sarri, as reports are saying, who would want this job? Um, that's a good question. Uh, Sam Allardyce always wants a job. <laughs> um, no, uh, Big Sam. In all honesty, I mean, if you – Chelsea have run out of top managers to hire, and uh, if you want proof, you know, we signed Maurizio Sarri. You know, like, we couldn't go after the top targets in the managerial world at the time. Not to say Sarri's not a top manager, but, you know, we didn't go after the big names that other clubs, uh, that other clubs did. So that's number one. Who, <laughs> who would want it? The only people I could think of are Lampard, John Terry, or Jody Morris. Like any combination of those three are probably the only people in the world that are going to want this job. Is he ask is is Bone Daddy Deluxe asking us who would want the job yes. or who yeah. would we want? Oh, no, that is what he's asking. Okay. Yeah, that, that's all, that's also a very valid question. Yeah, who who the hell wants to be a manager of this? That's club what I'm saying. Like you're right. <laughs> like, like nobody, no top man. Like we are poisoned to top managers now. Like yeah. You ever hear that saying? It's like hanging around, match. hanging around kids is birth control. Well, <laughs> following Chelsea for a top manager is like the best birth control that they could possibly have because they know not to come within 
150 feet of our stadium. Otherwise, they're just going to obtain this losing record and get sacked immediately. Three year, yeah, three-year max. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, that's the thing. Nobody's no going to want this job. job. Andres, what do you think? Like, who the fuck is going to want this job <laughs> at this point? Yeah, I mean, I don't know any top talent that would want this job, to be honest. I, I agree that... I've been kind of trying to figure out who would want this job, and and yes, Lampard is not like t- is not experienced enough to to really take this job on. But something that he does have is the fact that he knew what this team had. He's English, so he probably would be more likely to give these young English academy players a chance because Chelsea hasn't had an English backbone since the old guard left. Um, so there's positives to that. There, there's that Zidane-like effect when you bring a club legend back where the players have to listen because he won literally everything here. Um, last year, whenever we had no idea who the manager was going to be and it looked like, sorry, wasn't going to be the guy, I did flirt with the idea that I would want Jody Morris because he brought so much success to these young guys. Would he have his faults in the league? I'm sure he would, but he knew what was best in terms of how to play the academy players and in transitioning to the first team. So I thought that could have been a good, like, stopgap for until we could really pull in a big manager. But, I mean, at this point, like you said, the, the top coaches aren't going to come here because they know what could happen. And the transfer ban also doesn't help. The, <laughs> so I was like, okay, let's look at all the coaches out there, like who is out there that we could possibly get. And – this is me like going, like putting on my, what is it? Aluminum foil tin hat on or whatever and mm-hmm. going completely crazy. Uh, Red Bull Salzburg has been a team that's been always in the Europa league in the last three or four years. Um, and the way that team operates is that they're essentially a farm team for Leipzig. And no matter how many times, their better players get pulled into Leipzig. That team performs with young guys, unknown guys, and they beat, they get results against known sides, whether it's your Sevillas or Valencias or Arsenal or Italian teams. The point is this guy gets results with like non-proven talent. And it sounds like we're about to lose our bigger egos anyway. So maybe bringing a guy like that, I don't know, maybe a coach that has kind of fallen out of being a top coach like Laurent Blanc. I'm I'm not really sold on him either, but maybe this is like his way of reestablishing himself. Like that's sadly where we're at right now, where we're going to have to find someone who's trying to get themselves out of the dumpster or someone who's been doing stuff with like an, uh, an under resourced, like undervalued team and still getting results. So those are our only two options, giving the job to a former Chelsea legend who can get the best out of the players giving it to a coach who's essentially shit the bed a couple times recently or giving it to a coach who has no experience with a big team but has shown some sort of brightness with not having a, a quality side so not much really to do there i guess i'll just uh i'll just address uh, ron's second question i mean i think you guys are both agree if if eden hazard leaves and when he leaves, I, I, I really can't see Chelsea moving on from Cho as well. I mean, we can't lose both of them in the same year. Um, yeah. So I think we're going to be holding on to Cho. And I think any success in Champions League, um, it's it's very, very unlikely. 
but I think it completely hinges on uh, Pulisic's development within the next year. I mean, if he can be if he can be exactly what you know everyone believes he could be, we might have a decent chance of competing. I mean, there's no way that we could win Champions League next year with the the squad that I I, I can I can envision us having. But um, we, I don't know. We shouldn't even. I don't know why we're talking about the Champions League. I, I just don't want to get our, I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't want to have any we're expectations. Not, yeah, no expectations whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, um. So, last question from at Envard. 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 Oh, that that yeah, sounds pretty. That sounds, that sounds pretty bad. It's it's with an A. N Ward. Ward. Okay, not Ward. N Ward. N Ward. Normally you would say Ward, but with the N in front of it, yeah, it doesn't sound right. And Ward, and Ward. Sorry, yeah. that's no. no it just sounds. Like, it just yeah. sounds like just you're saying something uh, vulgar. Something anyway, I, yeah. Um, uh, some something that Eden Hazard would say wearing his white white uh, clothes next year. <laughs> uh, so, N Ward asks thought on Kurt Zuma's future with Chelsea. Uh, Andreas, you want to start off? What, what do you think? Well, next year we have to bring him back. I mean, I I, I think he kind of stuck with us, whether he saw his future going elsewhere or not, because we're going to need the depth. Um, because, again, you have Luis and Rudiger, with Luis still potentially being on his way out, depending on how this contract plays out. Then you've got uh, Christensen, who should be our starter next season. And, and honestly, I'm leaning to the fact that Ampadu is going to be deployed more at DM than CM or center back in the future just because he hasn't grown anymore. So I feel like his his uh, size and stuff will suit him more in the midfield. So Zuma would be our fourth center back. And Zuma is, is very much like Rudiger where he's a very physical presence. I honestly think that his technical game is very underrated. So it, it just would come down to who is our manager? Because Zuma could come in and, and kind of steal the limelight from some of our other center backs if, if given the chance. I mean, he was our starting center back in 2015 before his ACL injury. So That was one of the saddest days of my uh, Chelsea fanhood was when uh, Zuma tore up his knee. Like, he was he was you my were, favorite Chelsea yeah, player when that happened. Yeah, I was to say that. Re- really, Zach had, had a huge affinity for Kurt Zuma. I, it's still, like, every time I do manager mode on FIFA, he's one of my first purchases just because mm-hmm. I have this undying loyalty to him. Look, I want him back at the club. I think I think he's still great. He's still young, He and, and he's been decent for Everton, at least decent in a side that's been pretty shit all season that we still somehow managed to lose to um but no like I, I i would love to have him come back to the club now knowing chelsea um we probably won't bring him back even if there is a transfer ban because <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll probably wind up bringing back like matt miazga or michael hector instead just to yes. fuck with us um so but yeah no it, i'm all for it i, I love kurt zuma he's happy he, he's that's it man he's happy Happy Zuma, man. That's that's the happy guy. Happy Zuma, happy Zach. Happy Zuma, happy Zach. So, anyways, I mean, speaking of happy, let's just kind of end the podcast on that note, right? Um, uh, a bit of a long one this week. Um, we do have a podcast special coming, uh, hopefully by the end of this weekend. Um, special guest to be announced. I don't want to spoil the treat. Ooh. Um, but, yeah, it should be a lot of fun, good stuff. We'll onto a dreadful, that over the weekend. onto a dreadful, dreadful international break. Yeah, 
so all like we get it, to do is just boil over what what's been happening. There's no good podcasts on international break. Like beside like if there's no good football, there's usually like a good podcast that comes out on like a Friday or something. There's no good football and no good podcasts. So we're gonna put out an episode just so we could add to that list of shit podcasts that come out during the international <laughs> break. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. Also hit us up on Gmail, RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. Um, make sure you guys look out for us. We're on iTunes. We're on any third-party app. We're also on SoundCloud. Um, just search Romans Empire, a Chelsea FC podcast. Uh, Andres, any last words? Let's fast forward to next weekend, and hopefully <laughs> things will be better. Yeah, next weekend things will be better because Chelsea don't play, and I will be getting shit-faced to forget about our whole entire season, just like I did yesterday on St. Paddy's uh, Day. I'm going to be using March Madness as my distraction. Oh, see? I'm going to be doing the same exact thing. Um, Som? Yeah, I'm looking forward to March Madness. Nothing, nothing Chelsea-related. So much excitement coming from both of you. I love it. Until next week, keep the blue flag flying high.